Hi, welcome to Grief Talk, the podcast where we talk about grief. I'm Susanna, and I'm joined here with my co-host and sister, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good, sis. How are you? I know that um, a lot of people Well, here you go. I'm just going to ask you how you are, and then I'm going to talk. How about that? <laughs> um, I know that probably the people who are friends with you on Facebook or follow you on Instagram know that you might have something to share with us. Yes, I do have a very important announcement. Um you all have been lied to, you <laughs> listeners. Um, so there's not just two people hosting Grief Talk. There's actually three people in the room right now. Um, I am pregnant. Yay! Woo-hoo! With my first little baby. And I am uh, right up close to my third trimester. So we're about to enter into the final home stretch before this baby is in my arms, which is really, really exciting. Yes. Well, not to make it about me, but I am so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited that the whole world knows now um, just because it's been it's been such a fun time of um, just kind of having it private and not a lot of people knowing. I mean, for the past, I guess, what is it now? Six, six months. months. Yeah. So um, do you want to like tell people why you kind of wanted to be a little bit more private about that? Sure. So um, it, it's interesting because, you know, I feel like in today's day and age, um, there are lots of really fun and exciting things that we get to share on social media and social media gives us the platform to do that and to share, you know, life updates and everything, um, very easily and very openly. And when I found out that I was pregnant, um, back in August, I was obviously so overjoyed and so thrilled. And, um, my husband and I, we were, just ecstatic. Um, but you know, it was very early in the pregnancy. And so we decided to wait a couple of weeks, uh, until after our first, uh, prenatal appointment, just to make sure it was a viable pregnancy and everything. Um, and everything looked good before we announced to our families. And then at that point we wanted to wait a couple more weeks before we started announcing to our closest friends. And then at that point I was like, you know, I think I'm okay with just, just keeping this, um, it was like on a need to know basis. Exactly. And like, you know, if you saw me out at the grocery store, obviously right now I am starting to get more and more of a belly. Um, my belly button hasn't like popped out yet, but it's just a very interesting experience. (laughs) Um, uh, what my body's going through and it is so beautiful, but, um, you know, it just felt like it was just one of those things where we were more than happy to share with people, but it was really cool that you know, we personally chose to share the news in person um, or intentionally with a specific person or group of people instead of just kind of dumping it um, into the, you know, social media universe. And so um, I, I figured at some point in time I would share either, you know, towards the very end of my pregnancy or when our child is actually here. But um, very Kylie Jenner of you. <laughs> thanks. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm going to take that as a compliment. I have my own thoughts on okay. Miss Jenner, but um, but yeah, I guess like you yeah, know, just yeah, kind yeah. of keeping it more more yeah. private in that sense. Um, well, it's a so. sacred time for you guys, um, you know, and it was even before anybody else knew, and um, before Camille and I knew, and our, our the rest of our family. It's just a sacred time to have that just with the the Pre- new family. Yeah, and I will say, pregnancy has been such an incredible experience, and it's it's been different than what I had anticipated. Uh, 
because I really didn't know what to anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't even know what the third trimester is going to hold because I've obviously never walked through this before. But um, it has, for me personally, felt like a very spiritual, very sacred, very intimate thing to go through. Mm-hmm. And so that in turn has caused me to just be a little more selective in what I do tend or choose to share with people um, or what I want to receive <laughs> from yeah. people as far as advice is concerned or um, their own lived experiences. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey so far and we are so excited. Um, and I think one of the coolest things about this whole pregnancy is the fact that you, Sarah, are my doula. No. I'm so excited. Do you want to explain to people that might not know what a doula is, what a doula is? Absolutely. A birth doula is somebody who is basically serves as emotional support to a mom in labor. Uh, They're there to advocate for mom and to encourage her to help her with uh, comfort measures. Um, And contrary to popular belief, it's not only people who choose to go natural or have an unmedicated birth. Anybody can have a birth doula. Um, So I get to be there and just to love on you, encourage you, encourage Cody. Um, and I'm really excited. I get a front row seat. I know you get a front row seat and also you're kind of like my life doula. So it only makes sense that you're going to be there for the birth. (laughs) Um, and a really cool thing too, is we're not finding out the gender of the baby. Um, which I love, I love that. So you'll be a part of, you know, one of the first people to know if this is a girl or boy. I know. I might even know before you. That is very true. Yeah. I mean, who knows what kind of state I'm going to be in, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I'm heavily relying on my intuition and education and affirmations. Mm. And I am just so, I, I just am so like awestruck, I think, by mm just how God has created the female body and like what it is capable of doing and what it is doing right now. And like, it is just, it is truly an incredible thing, um, to, to be a part of and to experience. And so, um, I'm also just relying on the handiwork of God. So love it. what's been your favorite part of being pregnant so far? I think feeling the kicks Mm. and I think the anticipation of meeting this baby Mm -hmm. because every day brings me one day closer Mm -hmm. to my baby being earth side in my arms and like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's also really cool too, to just like think about like, I'm never alone. And maybe, you know, there will come a time when this baby is here and I'm going to need some alone time. That's fine. But like in this season, it's just so fun for me to think like, Oh, I've got my little buddy with me. I'm never alone. (laughs) Like my little buddy goes, you know, to spin class with me and my little buddy goes to the grocery store with me. And my little buddy's on a work call with me. So yeah. it's it's really cool. And it's this child is very active. Um, again, I have nothing to compare it to. So I'm just assuming it's a very active baby. Yeah. Um, so it's just really fun feeling all of the kicks and the flips and the yeah. movement. Um, that's been really, really special. Yeah. Especially feeling it from a very early um, point in the pregnancy too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when you texted me the first time you ever felt the baby kick. Do you remember? Yeah. You were you said you had been eating Fritos. <laughs> so this is kind of funny. I always like, not always, but I I had envisioned that when I felt the baby kick for the first time, it would just be this really just beautiful moment. Yeah. Um, and it would just, you know, 
take my breath away and just be unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And it was unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And it did take my breath away. But the fact of the matter was I was laying on the couch, feeding myself Fritos, watching Sunday night football, (laughs) um, probably with my feet propped up, asking Cody, can you please come and rub my feet? Um, so it wasn't necessarily a beautiful moment. Maybe that's beautiful for some people, but, um, not what I had envisioned. (laughs) So I think the baby, uh, either, you know, was really happy that I was eating Fritos or was just really into the game. Absolutely. The baby was saying, go Titan. I was just like, mom, (laughs) did you see that play? Okay. That's my favorite thing that you do. I'm so glad you did it. My favorite thing that you do is when you, when you reference the baby and I'll speak on the baby's behalf. Yeah. I'll translate for the baby. You'll be like, I showed the baby this and they said, mom, look, (laughs) I love that you do that. Um, yeah, it's, and it's been fun for me to watch this whole process unfold and you and Cody become parents. And, um, I'm yesterday, I came in town to visit and I stayed with mom and dad and they had the baby cradle set up in the room where I sleep when I come and visit. And I just, you know, was slightly unwell for a few minutes. (laughs) I tend to have these little over emotional episodes and, um, I don't know. It's just very exciting. It's, it feels very miraculous to be a part of. It's, it certainly is a miracle and I'm just so thankful and grateful for the support that we have, um, not just in, you know, close proximity, but just, I, you know, with family being so close, I think just the emotional support too, Mm -hmm. um, that we're getting from our family and, um, encouragement. And that certainly goes a long ways, um, at least for me personally. So I'm really thankful for that. Well, I know we've talked about it just a little bit, but, um, especially here in this space, talking about grief, is there anything you want to say about, uh, you know, experiencing grief firsthand and experiencing loss, uh, and then also walking through experiencing new life. Is there anything you want to talk about there? Yeah. That's a really loaded question. It is a loaded question. And it's honestly one that like, I have a hard time putting my thoughts into words anyways, Mm -hmm. just with like normal everyday conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think even trying to approach that, I just am at a total loss of words, to be honest. Um, I will say that my joy for what has happened and what is to come with this pregnancy and with this child and this little soul that I'm carrying, like even from the moment I found out that I was pregnant, this baby has fit so perfectly into our life. And, mm-hmm. um, I, there, there is so much joy and celebration that comes with that. But this is one of the, if not the biggest, besides getting married, um, the biggest life event mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm, I'm going through, um, in a pot, a positive life event, I guess I should say. Um, that, I mean, of course my grief is right there, you know, and it feels very palpable at times because it feels, um, it feels full circle in a way. Um, having walked through the death of a family member that I was incredibly close to, and then to now be carrying a life inside of me, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a person that, God chose me to be their mom and Cody, their dad. Like, it's just, it's a very overwhelming, um, thing to approach. And, you know, I've tried talking about it in counseling, but 
Mm-hmm. I really just, you know, the only thing, the only appropriate response I can think to do is just to cry, you mm-hmm. know, because those tears are filled with grief and joy and just every emotion in between. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad that this, this baby will not know mm-hmm. Leland from a physical standpoint, but I mean, we always talk about him and yeah. he's in a lot of pictures. He's in a lot of videos. And I think that there's a way that we can, you know, still have him be a part of this baby's life. It just in a different capacity. And that's, and that's just hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Hmm. Love you. I'm so proud of you. I love you no. too. And I'm Sis. so glad you're my doula. I'm so glad that <laughs> you're letting me be there. <laughs> it feels like this very exclusive club of people who get to be there when the baby's born. I know. I know. <laughs> well, today we are going to talk a little bit about platitudes. Um, specifically, we're going to be speaking to the people who <clears throat> are talking to a grieving person. So support people or acquaintances Um, And we're going to speak from our perspective about the things that we have experienced. And um, we're even going to share maybe even a couple of personal stories. So before we jump in and talk about, we're going to give some examples of platitudes and just kind of the reasons that they're not helpful. Uh, We wanted to find a platitude because that's really important. Uh, A platitude is really any sort of a saying or a phrase that um, tries to comfort someone who's grieving, but it ends up softening or trying to diminish, maybe not even trying to diminish, but it ends up diminishing what they're experiencing. So like an example would be like, um, you know, everything happens for a reason, or uh, they're in a better place, or at least something, something, something didn't happen or whatever. Uh, So any sort of phrase like that, um, I'm going to just go ahead and say, is not helpful to a grieving person. So we're going to talk a little bit about those. Uh, And then because it is our mission to also equip people to do better, (laughs) uh, we're going to give you some alternative things that you could say to a grieving person. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I do want to say to, and I think we will talk about this a little bit more, you know, I personally believe that death is always tragic. Um, I think there's some kinds of loss that are more traumatic than others, but it's always tragic. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times it doesn't make sense, you know, why things happen the way that they happened. And platitudes, I think, kind of point to more of a cultural issue of trying to rationalize things that don't make sense. And it makes sense why we do it. I mean, we're only human. We don't want to see someone in pain. We don't right. want, we want to help. We want to fix. Right. We do. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with feeling uncomfortable when somebody is in pain, but you know, we can do better than to minimize intentionally or unintentionally what somebody is going through. Mm-hmm. I think. It's very easy too, because this is so interwoven and, and, and ingrained in our society to slap a platitude yes. uh, in a conversation. Um, you know, when we see someone that is going through a loss um, and it might be uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, with this episode, we certainly do not want to, you know, shame or look down upon someone who has used a platitude because I'll be honest, I've used them. Absolutely. Me too. You know, when I was on the other side of grief before I had experienced loss, um, like I did when Leland passed away, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And 
I certainly didn't know that some of these phrases that we are going to go over are, are, I'm confident in saying very unhelpful. Right. Um, when it comes to it. So just know, um, if you're listening and if you have said these phrases before, there's a lot of grace here. And, you know, if you are the support person for someone who is grieving, we need you as grievers. We, we need you as a support person and you are so necessary. Um, but hopefully this will just kind of, you know, be more of an educational episode in, you know, what is helpful, what isn't helpful. And I think in order to change the narrative of platitudes, it just requires a lot of restraint. Yes. (laughs) You know, because it is really easy to, um, insert, you know, whatever platitude feels most appropriate when in reality they're never appropriate. Yeah. Um, and a lot of restraint that comes with a lot of you know, restraint and discipline and uh, just awareness of mm-hmm. what you're saying. Um, but, you know, the good thing is we do have some examples of things that, you know, are helpful. Yeah. Um, so if you said these words before, don't beat yourself up. I've done it too. And, you know, this is just a chance to learn and yes. to just make different decisions the Absolutely. next time you're, you know, in a situation. Yeah. To look forward to the future and to, and to just make a different choice next time. Exactly. Yeah. Love that. Well, Susanna, you want to go ahead and start us off. We have a couple of platitudes we're going to go through. You want to go ahead and start us? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I follow, actually both of us follow Mm -hmm. and probably some of you listening, because this lady has a lot of followers, um, on Instagram. Uh, her handle is sit with wit. Um, her name is Whitney Goodman and, um, I thought that this was a Myers-Briggs thing, but next to her name, it says LMFT, but Sarah was very gracious and explained that. What does that actually mean? It means licensed marriage and family therapist. I was like, oh, she's introverted. No, I'm kidding. Um, so anyway, so she, uh, you know, she's has a, therapist. a, yeah, she's a therapist. She has a, um, a whole page dedicated to, um, all sorts of topics regarding therapy, but she, uh, she does talk about grief, um, and, uh, specifically toxic positivity, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other thing, which is, and a I whole mean, other would it really be an episode of grief talk if we didn't reference an Instagram therapist? It's just kind so of our true. theme at this point. It is. And this is also a great way for us to plug, you know, Instagram does not replace professional counseling. Um, it's more of a supplement, um, or can be great reminders 100%. in between your counseling sessions. Yes. So, um, you know, just just remember that, tuck that in the back of your mind, and just know that uh, professional counselors are there for a reason, and they're extremely necessary. And following great counselors on Instagram does not replace yeah. doing the work in an actual counseling session. Yeah, reposting a, a, a therapist Instagram post on your story does not count as therapy. It doesn't. Um, so keep your keep your scheduled appointment with your therapist. That's what so, we're going to say. So, yeah, and if you need a recommendation for a counselor, I got you. <laughs> if you're in the Nashville area, at least. Absolutely. Um, okay, so she does have a post, uh, Sit With Wit, um, has a post about toxic positivity or platitudes mm-hmm. when it comes to grief. So I'm just going to read through her examples. And then with each example, she has eight. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few reasons why that specific platitude might not be helpful to the grieving person. Okay. Okay. So let's get started. So the first one um, is 
it was God's plan or they're with God now. This might not be helpful because the griever might not have a relationship with a higher power. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't make sense to the griever why God would plan for them to lose this person. Um, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. I think so too. And I know that I shared in... This is Sarah, by the way, in my episode about my story, you know, just kind of the struggle that I had coming from a background of a person of faith and somebody who grew up in um, Christian culture, I really, really struggled with my relationship with God. And even if I did believe in God after losing Leland and a comment like this, I think compounded the confusion that I felt about God and about why does God do the things that God does? And I think it's kind of safer for us to stay away from those kinds of things just because the person who's grieving, yeah, that's absolutely true. They, they may not have a relationship with God or with a higher power, or they might really be struggling in that relationship. Um, and I think walking through a loss is, can, can sometimes in some cases, like if you do have a relationship with Christ, like that can really shake that relationship. Yeah. And um, I think you're right. It, it could potentially compound that confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, what's next? So the second one is they're in a better place. So this is why it might not be helpful. Um, this statement can imply that where they are is better than being with their loved ones on earth. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the person may not have a relationship with a higher power or believe that their loved one went to a quote unquote place. Yeah. I think it kind of goes back to the one that we just talked about that, yeah. you know, we just want to be really mindful of what somebody believes or, um, you know, if their belief system is really kind of being shaken. Yeah. Or you might not even know, like you might yeah. not know where they stand and all of that. And yeah, they're in a better place. Just tuck that one yeah in the back of your mind and just know it's not not a great one to say yeah okay the third one is it's kind of a three-parter or there's three examples it says at least they lived a long life at least you knew it was coming at least and then you can insert anything you think is worse so this might not be helpful because it negates the person's experience it dismisses their pain And it implies that they don't have a right to be upset or should be less upset. This is a slippery slope. This is a very slippery slope. This is one that I, hmm, I just have a lot to say about and I'm going to try and um, practice some self-control in what I say. (laughs) Uh, Just because I think that this one points to our tendency to situation compare, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically, you know, comparing you know, that's me comparing your situation, Susanna, to somebody else's and how yours is better or yours is worse. Or um, it it doesn't help because, you know, your situation is all you've experienced. So by trying to compare it with somebody else's, you know, you can't understand what it would be like. I don't understand what it's like to lose somebody who is ill because that's never something I've walked through. So if somebody tells me, well, at least, you know, he wasn't in pain. At least you didn't have to see him suffer. Well, I don't know what that's like. And in my mind, yeah. it even feels like, but then I would have known, you know, like you kind of do this whole thing, this whole game in your mind of, well, what if this had happened or what if this had happened? It's not helpful. Right. Um, 
And I, yeah, go ahead. It, well, I was just going to say, I feel like this is something really common that happens yeah. in the grieving community um, where it's really easy to situational situation compare. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Um, with like grief experiences. Yes. And this is just a friendly reminder that regardless of the loss that you have experienced or that others have experienced, it doesn't make someone else's grief more or less. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, you just can't compare. It's it's apples to oranges, whether, you know, your person died from this cause or that cause or this accident or that situation. I mean, a loss is a loss is a loss. And at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't make it more or less tragic based on how they passed away. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah. Um, so when you start a sentence with at least, chances are it's it's going to kind of fall into that comparison bucket, which at the end of the day is, is really not something that's helpful for a grieving person to hear. Yeah. Well, and I, I have even heard people, and I don't know if this is something that you've experienced, Susanna, but, you know, in talking to me, people who know that I've lost a brother say, well, I, you know, I, I know that this is really different, but like, I, I only lost my grandpa or I only lost my whoever, like even trying to like minimize their own loss when compared to me. And that's interesting. And you know, I don't want anybody to have to do that. Like it's still what you have experienced and it's not any more or less tragic, you know, than, than what I've walked through. Totally. It may be that, you know, there may be more or less trauma surrounding one sure. death, sure. but it's, it's always sad. Yeah. Always, always, always. Um, you know, I did, and I'll share this story. Yeah. I, I, like I mentioned, even a couple of minutes ago, experienced just some confusion surrounding my spirituality and reached out to a friend and, um, just kind of wanted to talk through some of the just big, very big, <laughs> uh, like, you know, just my existential crisis. Uh, no, really just some big questions that I had surrounding my belief system and um you know she encouraged me quite a bit and then in in the same conversation she brought up that uh, at that time however many years ago a a young guy in the community I think he was in high school uh had taken his own life and she said you know I know that it's really sad that that Leon passed away but you know at least he didn't take his own life And I just remember feeling so devastated by that comment for so many reasons because it felt like I wasn't allowed to be sad. Like I felt like there was a limit to how sad I could be. Right. About losing Leland. And it also. There's like a hierarchy of death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And it also made me really grieved for the family of this other young man because you know, there's a lot of, I think, nuances that I don't even understand because I, I, I don't have any experience in that area. But I think in some situations, when someone passes away, whether they um, take their own life, whether they pass away by an overdose or other kinds of, not controversial, but just more sensitive ways, you know, people tend to think that like that's the worst thing that you know that's the worst or that is there is this better or worse or this hierarchy and it just Mm. it really grieved me for that family yeah um so then on top of your grief then you're like you know carrying that weight of 
you know, that family too in your mind and your heart. Well, yeah, because in my, in my experience and in my mind in that situation, I'm sitting there, you know, crying my eyes out. This is the worst thing I could ever imagine going through. And in some moments I wondered if my own grief was just going to kill me. Mm. And for somebody to bring up that it could be worse is like incomprehensible. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I just want to say it's not helpful to start any sentence with at least. Just be extremely <laughs> cautious. Yeah. Extremely cautious with that yeah. word and mm-hmm. the words that follow that word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So. I'm really sorry that, you know, your conversation took that turn. Yeah. Me too. That's very unexpected. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard. It was, it was unexpected. And it's also hard to draw a boundary. Um, well, and when also. When you're crying your eyes out grieving yeah and like what was I supposed to say to her like oh yeah thank god you know like right you know really I you know I don't I don't exactly know how I would respond to that Uh, yeah I don't and I really don't remember how I responded it was a couple years ago it's probably for the best that I don't remember I feel like with a lot of my grief I just black out yeah absolutely okay so the next one is come on, be positive. They wouldn't want to see you sad. So this might not be helpful because you likely don't know what their loved one wanted and you're silencing their emotional expression and experience. Yeah, this one's so silly to me. Because, or not silly, but it just is silly. It is silly. It is because... How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> it's like, let the grieving person have their moment. Let them have their tears. Yeah. Let them have their moment of negativity. Even if their moment lasts six months. Like... Just let them have this. Like it's, it's okay. okay. To let them be sad. I think this is definitely like toxic positivity yes. at its finest. Um, and it, you just don't have you just don't have the right to speak on behalf of the person who has passed. Well, I mean, I I don't even feel like you know. In some cases, I have the the you know. Um, permission I think to like speak on Leland's behalf because I I'm not Leland's spokesperson yes oh my gosh that is such a good way of saying it that you're not his spokesperson yes and I just want to say this is something that in general bothers me is when people say this thing of well he would have wanted this for you or he wouldn't have wanted to see you sad can you tell that story yes absolutely I want to say when I, I mean, I'm going to try to, it's not funny, but what, what can you We're do? We're at a point where we it? can laugh Absolutely. about it because we know more than this person yes. knew when they made this comment. Um, yes. Okay. So when, when Leland passed away, I came home from college. I was, this is Sarah. I was a college student. I was home for two weeks and I did not want to go back to college because I couldn't think straight. I mean, I couldn't even remember to take a shower. So somebody was telling me that I needed to go back to college because um, it's what Leland would have wanted. Basically saying that he really had a really high value of education. And I'm sorry. And so now we're going to (laughs) laugh. So now we're going to laugh because, you know, Leland did, he did value his education and he, and he worked really hard for his college degree. He did. He worked hard for about seven years for his college degree. It was a journey. It was a journey. He enjoyed college. He really enjoyed Maybe not the classes. A little too much maybe. Um, But it was just like, what? You don't know what he wants. You don't know what he would have wanted. Like, just give me a break. I don't know. Yeah. It just kind of made me laugh because I was like, 
yeah, I don't think you and I know the same things about college when it comes to Leland. <laughs> um, but the other thing I want to say is like, um, the whole, they wouldn't have wanted to see you sad. Okay. I'm sorry. If I passed away, I would want to know that the people were sad. Like, yeah. hello. Yeah. Like it's a natural, it's response. a natural response. And you know, some people will talk about how the depths of your grief, your expression of grief are an expression of your love for that person. So I love that. You know, by being sad about somebody dying, it really is a, it's a, it's almost a measure of how much we love them. So, you know, let's let grieving people just have their sadness. Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm going to zip through the next few um, because we're, we're only halfway through. Okay. So the next one is everything happens for a reason. Gross. Um, (laughs) So this is why it might not be helpful. Uh, a lot of death, especially traumatic loss, makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes there is no reason, and we're trying to quickly make sense of something that likely doesn't make sense to the other person. Yeah, absolutely. And don't say that unless you know the reason, and you don't know the reason, so don't ever say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> one that's like, you know what? Just, just shove it. <laughs> just not, just don't, just don't say that one. Yeah, um, not a fan. Okay, so the next one is death is a part of life. Um, it's not helpful because even though it's factually true, it doesn't make the person feel any better. And grief is painful even when we know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think, you know, people experience different, well, people just have different life experiences based on their whole life because we're all so different. But it is painful. It is It is still painful even if we know that death is coming. Not even like if the person is ill and you know they're going to die, but like, hello, we're mortal. Like, yeah, that doesn't bring them back. That doesn't make me any less sad. It just kind of makes it seem like I should be rationalizing something that, again, to me, does not make sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so here is the seventh one. We have one more after this. It says, you need to be strong for insert person or be strong. So this is not helpful because it implies that having emotions around grief isn't being quote unquote strong. Um, It also implies that showing your emotions is wrong and may harm someone. Yeah, I want to say two things here. One is in the middle of grief, especially early grief, it's not the time for somebody to be strong. Mm-hmm. it's a time for somebody else to like step in and take care of them. Like that's not the time to be strong. Why would that be an expectation that we have of someone? Right. That is just silly. Yeah. And the other thing is it, t- it really takes the focus off the grieving person. And it's in it. I think it is another way of situation comparing like, we well, have to be strong for your kids because this is harder for them than it is for you. Right. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It exactly. reminds me of when, you had shared, Sarah, um, in a previous episode about how someone had asked, you know, how are your parents doing? Instead right. of asking, how are you doing? Right. That's not to, you know, you know, not care about how our parents are feeling, but it just completely overlooked, you know, how you might have been feeling on that day or, you yeah. know, in that well, season it, of your grief. I think it just in general gives this feeling that somebody else deserves to be more sad than you. Mm. Or deserves something different than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not true. It's not. Okay, our final one is time heals all wounds. Uh, This might not be helpful because things 
do tend to get better with time, but grief will always be a part of the griever's life and their story. It implies that time is all that you need to be quote unquote better. And most people are not in a place to think far into the future after a difficult loss. Yeah, absolutely. I think that last one that you said really is the one that I, I relate to the most that grief is not the time to be planning out your future and thinking about those things. Right. And from, from a psychological perspective, you know, when someone there's, there's kind of this perspective of the brain, you know, your, your brain works from the outs from the, from the very core out. So the very core of your brain that your brain stem is like your lizard brain. It's the part of your brain that like wants to eat and wants to fight and wants to do things that animals do. <laughs> and then, you know, in the middle of your brain, it's, you know, other things like speech and things that make us uniquely human. And then at the very outside edge of our brain is the things that make us, um, you know, really special. Like, or like maybe emotions? Yeah, like- our emotion. Well, executive functioning. So things like planning and, um, you know, measuring the consequences of actions and, um, you know, just rational thinking and things. The rational part of us is at the very outside of our brain. Mm-hmm. And what happens when we experience um, any sort of disorienting thing, even when we just get really angry, we don't have access to that part of our brain. So our brain starts to work at the core. And um, even there's this area of your brain called Broca's area, which, um, sorry, I'm going to nerd out on us. No, I'm like loving this because I've heard the term lizard brain before and I thought it was just silly, but like that's really cool that that's like a real thing. Yeah, so the Broca's area, if I'm not mistaken, is in kind of the middle section of your brain and that's the part that of your brain that forms words. It's the part that literally um, forms speech. And when you're really angry, have you ever gotten really angry, Susanna? And you just go, I just, have you ever done that? Literally, that's me every day, even like with any emotion. Okay, great. I I think that part of my brain doesn't work very well. Perfect. (laughs) So you're a great example of this thing. Great. Yeah, it's just those certain parts of our brain become inaccessible to us when we experience certain emotions. So when we become angry enough, the part of our brain that makes words Literally, we can't access. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. So if you think about somebody... And it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And and I'm sure that even people listening, you've experienced a time when you were really upset and somebody tried to rationalize with you and you're just like, stop. Like, I can't, like, I can't even go there. I can't even understand that. And that is really where we are in grief is just kind of this perpetual state of the outside edge of our brain is just, the, you know, our, our frontal cortex is... It's just not accessible right now. So mm-hmm. there's really no reason to sit there and talk to somebody about the future, about how they won't be sad forever, or they need to do this, this, and this. Be- when they just can't even, they can't even get there with you. Yeah. So of course, of course it's not going to be helpful to talk about the future or to talk about how time heals all wounds when somebody is not even able to think about the future. It's not that they don't want to. They really aren't even able to. And I think when we are able to understand grieving people from that perspective, it allows us to give them a lot more grace too. Yeah. And feel, you know, more compassionate and just like understanding of maybe what, what they might be going through, um, from, I guess, a psychological perspective. And I also just want to say that like, I'm five years into my grief and Mm -hmm. I'm still sad. Yeah. You know? And so I think that it's a, it's a both and kind of emotion where I, I think you can experience joy 
and sadness yes. at the same time. Yes. You know? I totally agree. They can totally coexist. Yeah. And it's a very strange place to be. Uh, but as a grieving person, um, the the sadness just looks different now than it mm-hmm. did at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fully anticipate that it'll continue to shift and change, but I don't think it'll ever leave. Yeah. I think grief is much more of an evolution than it is yeah. a timeline of sorts. Right. Um, it just evolves yeah. and changes shapes. Yeah. Um, so that, that wraps up the uh, sit with wit eight <laughs> uh, platitudes. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll yeah. link to sit with wit to her info in, in the show notes too, so that you guys can follow along. Um, but we also, like we said, want to leave you with some, some more helpful things to say to somebody. And just as we have um, already referenced, you know, death just doesn't make sense especially to a grieving person, it it just, it's not going to make sense. And so the best thing that we can do for a grieving person is to just acknowledge this doesn't make sense. And you can say that to a grieving person, right? You can, you need something to say, you can say this This doesn't doesn't make make sense. sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fair. And that's enough. It's truly enough. And you can also say to them, this must be really hard. This just must be hard. And, I, and one thing I want to encourage people to remember, too, is, you know, less is more. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to fill up any silence with any words because um, the fact of the matter is, and this is not based on any statistical fact, but <laughs> my theory is, you know, people remember maybe 20, 25% of what you say. But people are always going to remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true when it comes to comforting grieving people. And I hope that that takes the pressure off of us to know that you don't really have to have the right thing to say. But there's a way that you can comfort somebody that they will remember, even if they don't ever remember what you said. That's a great point. So I think that we can come to grieving people. I think that grieving people deserve better than our platitudes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a way that we can come to them and just be on their same level and say, this is really hard. And this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of other um, specific phrases that we went over in our last episode when we talked about questions. Um, So feel free to go back and reference those. um, Just telling people, I'm really sorry, or this isn't fair. Or, um, you know, offering, hey, can I bring you a meal? Mm-hmm. Or can I get your kids from school? Mm-hmm. Um, so feel free to go back to those and, and reference any of those. But just, I, I want to encourage support people of grievers just to check in with yourself and get to a point to where you're okay if it's awkward and if it's quiet and if you can't fix something. And once you're in that place where you know you've kind of come to a point of acceptance that you can't fix it, I think that's when we're able to offer the most help and support to grieving people. Yeah. And, um, I'll, I'll, you know, say that, and this is Susanna, that with, um, this particular situation. Is there a dog here in your microphone? No. Cause there was a, there was a Lola here in my microphone oh my a minute ago. Um, okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Lola, my dog is, uh, very generous with leaving her hair everywhere. So sweet. Um, but no, I mean, this is a great, a great opportunity for support people to practice restraint, mm-hmm. um, and what they say. And I know that that is difficult because, you know, silence can be uncomfortable or, mm-hmm. 
you know, not knowing really what to say can even be a little uncomfortable. But the good thing is like, you know, here are a few examples of what you can say. And the great thing is, you know, to that uh, grieving person, that might be just exactly what they need to hear. That affirmation of this doesn't make sense and this is unfair and I'm just really sad, you know, um, and then, you know, in turn that could also, you know, kind of open the, the door for the grieving person to feel comfortable to maybe share more with you as the support person or just to kind of relax their shoulders a little, because I know for me as a grieving person and just in life in general, I I go into fight or flight Mm -hmm. (laughs) very easily and I clench my jaw and I, you know, tense my shoulders and I hold my breath. And so, you know, getting affirmation, um, in this way could allow the grieving person to maybe exhale a little bit or Mm -hmm. unclench their jaw or drop their shoulders. And, um, and I think that that could be a really, a really beautiful way to support their grief. Yeah, I think so too. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. Alrighty. Well, um, that's all we have for you guys today about platitudes. And until next time, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you're always welcome to reach out to us through our website, grieftalkpodcast.com, uh, and to follow along with us on Instagram at grieftalkpodcast. Um, we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, if you have anything to add, um, we are, we're all ears, I guess, all eyes, all ears, all eyes. All of it. We love it. (laughs) We love it. Uh, But thanks for joining us uh, here on Grief Talk, the podcast where we talk about grief. Bye.